quite the introduction. First, uh, you know, you got me, Ryan, talking about how the word of God is going to pour out of my mouth. And Amen. On that, <laughs> I, I think it's fitting to talk about how, um, you know, I feel like this year has really been uh, a year of great transformation for me and in my walk with God. And I think probably more than any other year, at least it's felt this way, I have made more mistakes than I have maybe in any other year of, of my discipleship. Um, I have taken more faithful risks than, every, than any other year that I've had in my discipleship. And, and with that, I probably failed more times and started to understand my weaknesses in a way that, uh, I, frankly, I, I never really wanted to. Um, right, you guys can relate to that. You know what I'm talking about there. But I think through all of it is I, God, God started teaching me some of the most valuable lessons that I've ever learned, uh, and I think that any of us can ever learn. And what I've really been learning is about what it means to be forgiven in Jesus, what it means to be justified in him. You know, I think I've, I've had a, a false perception of what it means to be uh, in, to, what it means to be in Christ, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a Christian, and how God treats me when I sin, when I mess up, when I blow it. And I think I've spent so much of my Christian life living to not sin instead of living to really love God. And I think many of us can relate to that idea. We, we have this, this desire to be righteous and to obey God and to follow the things that he says that sometimes we're so preoccupied with following the letter of the law, we lose sight of the spirit that God has, has said behind it and what he's called us to. You know, I think because of that, I, I honestly, I've lived most of my life, not just as a Christian, but I'd say my entire life, guilt-ridden, walking around worried, uh, thinking that I'm just a step away from making a mistake, a step away from doing the wrong thing, and I knew that there was something about that that just didn't seem right, didn't feel right, but I wasn't sure what the answer was or how to break free from it, which is crazy to think about because, you know, if you've heard about Christianity, you've heard about Jesus and the cross, you know that Jesus is the answer to these things. But for some reason, there was just something that did not click. And so what I found is that I, I, what I really needed was a better understanding of the gospel. And so what I had to realize was that in Christ, I am no longer condemned for my sins, whether past, present, or future. Instead of being held against me, instead of being held against you, they were held against Jesus. He took what we deserve, and we receive what he deserves, which is eternal life. And I think it's, it's incredible because that's something we could never pay for, something we could never earn, but yet somehow I found myself consistently trying to do so by just trying to be remorseful enough or trying to do enough good things in order to gain this acceptance that God has already given to you or to me when we entered into Jesus Christ, when we became a Christian. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. We're going to unpack that. But I do want to say that if, if you are someone who lives in guilt, 
If you worry, if you run away from your problems, then it does show that there is an area that you are not understanding the gospel of Jesus. There's some way that you are missing it. And so hopefully we will correct that tonight, or at least help you take a step forward in that journey. Because when you understand the gospel, there's, you don't have to worry. You don't have to fear, because you know God is with you. And so we'll be in, in 1 John chapter 5. And I love this, because what you see in 1 John... Um, First John is, in many ways, it's, it's, a, a, it's very closely tied to the Gospel of John, not just, not just necessarily an author, but also in different themes that it picks up on and talks about. But one of the things that really, really hits home is that John is saying, when you understand who Jesus is and what he's done for you, it produces a, a greater belief and love in you. So how do you know that you're understanding the gospel? You see in your life that, there is a, that you're growing in your belief, you're growing in your love. If you do not grow in your love, if, you're not, if, if that is not there, then there's some aspect of, the, of your relationship with God that, again, is a little wonky, that's a little off. And so we're going to pick up in verse 11. 1 John chapter 5, we're going to pick up in verse 11. And uh, there's some, some, some pretty interesting things, maybe even some confusing things in here that we'll unpack a little bit. But it says, starting in verse 11, This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things so that you may believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we, have, what we asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sins does not lead to death. I'll repeat that. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. That means there is actually a sin that doesn't lead to death, or sin that doesn't lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. And so a lot is happening in the context here of, of 1 John. And to give you basically just a, a, a basic understanding, there was a split that happened uh, in many of these churches that John had written to. 
And what you see is there were people who, um, they took the Gospel of John, or they took the message that came with the Gospel of John, and they, they ended up taking it kind of to an extreme to where they started to deny uh, Jesus in the flesh, that he had actually died, that he uh, was sacrificed. And so John is writing, in a lot of ways, to encourage the disciples that they can be confident in the message that they, that they receive, that they can be confident in the gospel. I know sometimes when, when a schism or when a break like that happens, right, you, 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 any division is painful. Any division is painful. You know, I think about what, being separated just from those that you love, those that you care from. There's, there's a healing process that needs to happen. And sometimes we need reassurance uh, you know, as we sit there and we question, am I wrong? Are they wrong? Did something happen? I don't know all the, the ins and outs. And, and so sometimes we need someone who's there to just say, it's going to be okay. Here's the truth. You need to hold to the truth and don't let these, these other thoughts get into your mind and cloud what God is trying to say to you. And so as John is writing, that's what he's writing. He's writing to encourage the Christians that the Jesus that they heard about, the Jesus that they accepted is the true God, that he is the Messiah, that he came in the flesh, that, his set, that he did die, that it was something that actually physically happened, and that because of that, they now can have eternal life. Because to say if, that Jesus, this is just for, for the context of it, but to say that Jesus didn't die lessens the value of the sacrifice, right? Because then it means that God that you were not valuable enough to die for, which is contrary to what, to what the Christian message is and what we preach, you know, that you are infinitely valuable, that God loved you so much that he was willing to send his son to die for you so that you could have eternal life. And so he starts off encouraging that, you know, here in this, in this portion of it, I guess that not starts off, this is the very end of the book, but he ends the book just reinforcing that conviction to encourage them and to say, you have eternal life. And those of you who are in Jesus, who have repented, been baptized, you've accepted, you know, Jesus is your Lord, he is your Savior, you have eternal life. And if you are doubting that right now, you have eternal life in Jesus. And that is some incredible news. And so he calls them to be confident, confident in God, confident in this Jesus whom we profess, whom we proclaim. And that confidence is one that, that we know that God is not just there, that, we are, that we've received our sins, that, that we've received the forgiveness of our sins, but God is one who hears us as we call out to him. You know, it says... It says that we can approach God with confidence and that whatever we ask, God will listen. I think this, this, this truth that God is saying here that's, that's in this passage is particularly difficult for you and I because sometimes when we sin, when we mess up, when we blow it, we feel like, okay, we've been bad. God is not going to listen to us for a temporary period of time until we become good again, and then God will hear our prayers. Then God will understand uh, and, and listen to you and to me. And that's a false understanding. So as he's, 
as he's talking about this, maybe I should just start. I, I feel like I should just start here. I think a lot of us, when we talk about our relationship with God, we can look at it as a conditional thing. Because a lot of times when we interact with people on a day-to-day -day basis, we experience conditional love. We experience love that, that we look at at and, and you say, okay, well, if you're not nice to me, I will not be nice to you. Or if you've been bad, you're punished for that badness. But what we see in Jesus, what we see in God, is that that's not the kind of God that he is. When we do wrong, when we deserve punishment, he responds with blessing. And actually, the, the scriptures, as they talk, they talk about how God is not just good to those who are righteous. God is even good to the wicked. And he's patient with them, and he gives them time. And so God, in his, in his love, there's an approachability, a confidence that we have that that not like when we were God's enemies, right? If you think about Roman, in the book of Romans, when we were God's enemies, Jesus died for us. If that's how God treats us when we're his enemies, then how does God treat us when we're his sons and daughters? And so this is where this passage comes into mind of, of Jesus really hearing us, really listening to us, really caring about you and me, and whether we've sinned five seconds ago, five years ago, God is still right there with you, and you can be sure that you have a relationship with him. And so in the next verses, in verse 16, he does talk about two types of sin. There's a sin that he says that, that leads to death, and then there's sin that does not lead to death. I know. It's a little, little, lap, little overlap from the teen lesson at camp, right? Don't worry, we're going to throw some new stuff in there for you. We're going to throw some new stuff in there for you. So it says, uh, it talks about these two types of sins, okay? A sin that leads to death and a sin that doesn't. So the sin that leads to death that we see in, this, in the context of 1 John that we see uh, a little bit before that is the sin of rejecting Jesus and the sin of rejecting the gospel. You know, those who, who were opponents of what Jesus had taught and preached, they were, uh, they were filled with hate. They were divisive. Uh, they did not love their brother the way that God has called us to love. First John, there's so much emphasis on love being the guiding foundation for our walks, for our lives. And so when, so he's saying, you know, okay, this, there's, you know, when you understand what Jesus has said, when you understand what Jesus has done, to reject him is blasphemous. To reject him is blasphemous. And I want to ask, what are some different ways that you guys see that people reject the gospel? That people reject, can reject Jesus? Actually, can we, we can get a little participation. We can get a little participation. Yeah. Okay, we could reject Jesus maybe through disobedience. Okay. You're going to say through disobedience. Okay. Okay. 
Okay, so what, one more. Not paying attention to the lesson. That's the unforgivable sin that leads to death. Not paying attention to the lesson. Especially at teen camp. Okay, so while, while, is, while, is, while the things that you guys said, okay, they are, you, you can, maybe we could classify them as sin, those are not the sins that lead to death. Those are not the sins that lead to death. Okay, the sin that leads to death is literally rejecting and saying, I refuse to acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord and the Savior. I refuse to even attempt or am willfully going against his leadership, that he is God. And so there are people that you meet who you will, maybe who you share your faith with, who you go out, you know, who, you, who you're trying to share your faith, you know, share the gospel with, and they say, I'm sorry, I want nothing to do with Jesus. I want nothing to do with faith. And that is the sin that leads to death that he's talking about here. Because in John, these, this other group, this separatist group, were rejecting who Jesus was. They were rejecting that Jesus had died that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day, and that he is the Son of God. That he is the Son of God. Now, I don't think that describes most people in this room, which is really good news. Which is really good news. Now, that sin leads to death because the only way that your sin can be forgiven and taken care of is through acknowledging, through entering into Jesus. If you reject Jesus, there is no hope for you. There's no hope for any of us. But when we accept Jesus, when, we, when he is our Lord and our Savior, then a very, very different thing happens. Because to say those things that you said before, oh, I'm just disobedient enough, I'm not faithful enough, I'm not this, I'm not that, those are things that, that we wrestle with every day. Those are things that the apostles wrestled with on a day-to-day -day basis at different points. Those are things that Christians throughout history have, have, have wrestled with throughout history. So in order to say that those are the sins that lead to death, you'd have to say that no one is a Christian, and no one has ever been a Christian. And so that's the great news that comes with Jesus, is that, you know, he, he has taken away our sin. He has forgiven your sin. So that those moments that you doubt, those moments that you fear, those times that you're like, oh no, I just disobeyed God, I've blown it, I haven't done that. If it was all about you and your effort and you perfectly holding to the standard, then you wouldn't need Jesus. You'd be your own savior. And I think that's the problem and you see, this was the, the challenge with the Pharisees and with those that, you know, I, I'm, I'm a rule follower by nature, so I can feel this way. When we do that, we are trying to earn our own salvation and earn our own good standing with God through perfectionism. And when we do that, we negate what Jesus has done for you and me. And so the good news here is that even though there is a sin that leads to death, rejecting the gospel... What's great is that other sins, 
sins that you may even think are the worst sins in the world, whether it's immorality, drunkenness, rage, disobeying your parents, right? That those things, even though they don't characterize the life of a Christian, they are forgiven and covered by his blood. So a sin that doesn't lead to death is any sin that is covered by Jesus' blood and his sacrifice. Yeah, there are times that you are going to be tempted. There are times that you're going to blow it. But Jesus has taken away your sin. So much so, actually, that John says this. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Anyone born of God does not continue to sin. That can mean one of two things. There's one way, which I think most of us have read it, maybe not in, maybe we wouldn't say this, but we can say, okay, we know anyone born of God does not continue to sin, or else God will crush you. I think that's how most of us, or many of us, can think when we think about the times that we mess up and we bloat. We can think, okay, I need to never sin ever again in my entire life, or else God will destroy me. Because a good Christian doesn't do that. A good Christian doesn't sin. A good Christian doesn't doubt. A good Christian doesn't mess up. And so we can read those words as a threat instead of a promise. Because it goes on to say the one who is born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. Now what does that mean? What does that mean? If you are in Jesus, you no longer sin. You no longer sin. Now, I know there's a way to hear that. That can be a little confusing. We'll, we'll talk about that. But what happens is, when you mess up, when you're in Christ, the moment that you sin, the moment that, that, that you think that person's going to put that finger, because sometimes we feel like God is just sitting there waiting to accuse us of wrongdoing, and every time we mess up, God's sitting there going, ah, ah, ha! I knew it. I caught you one more time. But that is not the God that we serve. What happens is when you mess up, before the accusation can even come your way, it's already the finger has been pointed at Jesus. And so whereas you see that you have sinned, you see that you mess up in the sight of God, you do not sin and you no longer sin. Now let's, let's, let's look at an analogy here because I think, I think these are things that can, that, can, that can help us. It's crazy. God does not accuse you of wrongdoing anymore. You're in him. Think about it this way. You get a speeding ticket and you end up going to court. When you go to court, there's a, there's a judge who's sitting there and some of you, you, you may you know, decide, okay, I don't know if I can fight this. Let me hire a lawyer. And so the lawyer is smart. He knows all the different defenses and things that he can do. And as he, as he puts in this work, he goes to the judge and he pleads the case for you. 
Now, the one who has done all the work is the lawyer. If the judge says that you are not guilty, then what are you? Not guilty. Did you do any work for that to happen? No, you were actually guilty, but the lawyer got you off. The lawyer's work got you off of something that you deserved. And so the hard work of Jesus, the hard work that Jesus has done, as he is our mediator before God, he's the one who has come to your defense so that you are no longer accused of sin. So even if you feel guilty, even if you feel that you've done wrong, in the eyes of the law, it is an irrefutable fact that you are not guilty anymore. And that is our standing before God. Jesus' sacrifice applies to us in the same way. He bore the punishment for our sins. He paid that debt, and it's done. It, would you go and would you pay for something that's already been paid for? Would you pay for a ticket as if you were guilty when you've already gotten off the hook? No, we hold on to our money. We don't spend it. We don't give it away like that unless we've chosen to, out of the goodness and kindness of our heart, to do so. And so the same thing is true of Jesus as he's come to our defense and he's freed us from sin. Now, what, what really blew my mind is that sometimes I can think, or you and I, maybe this is, maybe this is just me, but I think about all the mistakes that I've made throughout my Christian life. And I've thought, every time I mess up, I need to go before God, and there's a separate trial for every single sin. You may never say that, but sometimes we treat it that way. We've blown it, we mess up, we feel like, oh no, God, I'm never going to be, I'm never going to get, be accepted by you. I'm never going to get off this time. You're just going to reject me finally. These are things that we don't say with words, but that we feel, that we know in our heart as we come before God. But what's so incredible about Jesus' sacrifice is Jesus has taken the entirety of sins, your past, your present, your future, all sins throughout time and history, he's put them on one court case, one court case, and brought it before God so that God can say, well done, good and faithful servants that you receive the judgment of not guilty instead of the judgment of guilty that you may deserve. Now that's powerful. When you live that way, it changes the way that you see yourself. It changes the way you see God. It changes the way you see the world. You know, what happens is there's a freedom the freedom comes when you know that, that, that God is, is there to, to love you, to encourage you, to build you up, and not to condemn you. And so when you mess up, you can approach him with that same confidence that, God has already, that you've already been cleared of whatever you just did. You're free from it. It's not going to be held against you. God is not like people in that. And that's so powerful, that's so amazing, and it shows the unconditionality of his love. And so whereas that's his promise to us, 
we respond with love. You know, if you found out, if I, if I, if I were to take a poll here, I want you to think about this. If you found out that for the rest of your life, there was nothing you could do that would put you or send you to jail, how would you live? How would you live? First off, I want that to sit because that's how radical the forgiveness we have in Jesus is. That's how radical that forgiveness is. But what ends up happening is once you've been forgiven like that, the motives of your heart are revealed. Because once the negative consequences are gone, you see whether someone was living to please God out of fear or if they were living to please God because they really wanted intimacy with him. And so that's the challenge that God has set before us because that is our predicament in God. When you love him, when you care for him, you do things because you want to be close to him. You don't obey out of fear of what some repercussion would be. You know, I'm, I, I'm, I love this. I'm engaged right now. I, I don't listen to Caitlin. I don't, you know, try to build a relationship with her because I'm afraid she's going to hit me. Because I'm afraid that she's just going to do these different things and then all of a sudden leave. I do it because I want to be close to her. And so only in that context are we free to love God the way that he loves us. That's the only way that it can happen. And when we understand that, that frees us up. That's the reason why in, in Romans chapter 6, you know, Paul has to say, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? No! No, we, we won't do that. Because we understand what it costs to have that relationship with God. We do not take it lightly. And so out of gratitude and out of love, we live to honor God. We live to please him. We live to be close to him. And so that is the gospel message. You know, we are, we are justified sinners. Justified sinners. What ends up happening is, is, is though our actions, yeah, they may change <coughs> to some extent. Yes, and, and they, they should. Because the difference between when you love someone and when you don't love someone, there's a huge difference that you see in how someone lives their life. Absolutely a huge difference. But when we come before God, there's a difference in the way that God sees you than really what you and I deserve. You know, I, I love this. Jesus is freeing. This really blew my mind. If God doesn't think about your sin anymore, why is it that sometimes you and I walk around constantly thinking, dwelling on every little mistake that we made? If God doesn't think about it, why are you? And I'm not saying that, okay, there isn't, there isn't a, a, a time and a reason for you and me to, to sit and to, to actually put, yes, God, I've blown it. There's, we, we do need to be humble. We do need to have a remorseful spirit. 
But again, that remorseful spirit comes because we've, we've hurt the intimacy with the one we love. Not because we fear punishment. We want to be close to Jesus. And so the focus isn't on the mistake. The focus is on how we can reconnect, how we can draw close to one another again. Right? All sin does, it does damage relationships. We do need to work through it. There is, there is a time in which, which healing needs to occur. And so that is, is, that is what Jesus is wanting. And so in all of this, if you've walked in here guilt-ridden, you feel like, okay, maybe I, I've blown it. I've, I've done maybe the worst of sins and I haven't read my Bible every day, right? But in Jesus, this day, this very day, if you have repented, if you've been baptized into Christ, you are no less a disciple at this moment than you were the instant you were baptized. And that... If this sounds too good to be true, that's because we serve a God that, that, that loves us and lavishes us beyond what we can comprehend and understand. It is too good to be true. You know, this is the reason why the Christian doesn't have to worry, but the non-Christian does. This is the thing that motivates us to preach the word and to preach the gospel with such fervor to those in our lives because we know that there is no hope outside of Jesus. There is, there is no freedom, there's no love really outside of Jesus. And so the, these different things as we, as we can go back and forth, yeah, whatever it is, however you walked in here today, I hope that this has encouraged you. I hope that this has built your faith in what God has called us to, because there is. There is what God has done, and there's the response that we have to what he's done. First John says we love because he first loved us, not the other way around. And so because of that love, because of the freedom and the forgiveness in Jesus, we live radically different lives. We live lives that that, 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 that boldly go forward, that aren't afraid to make mistakes, that take risks, that love and pour out our hearts knowing that some will reject us just as they rejected Jesus. <coughs> and so Jesus is the one. He is the only one who can meet these needs and these different things in our life. So when we choose him, he refreshes our souls he transforms our heart. And I, I feel like I just need to go back and read the passage one more time before we, before we close out. And this is the testimony. God has given you. God has given me. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. It's not a conditional statement. If you have the Son, you have life. I write these things to you who may believe in the, in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. 
This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sins does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death, rejecting the gospel. I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. But we know, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God, and the whole world is over, under the control of the evil one. We also know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Amen.